Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Hold the Line. Now, this is not going to be a regular episode of Hold the Line because. As you'll notice, there's no jingle, and there are not going to be any kind of weird stabs or outro music because I'm just speaking into my voice recorder on my mobile phone. And the reason for that is I am at my parents' house because my husband Adam has got a really bad cold, which at first we thought was COVID, and I haven't had COVID yet. So when I heard he was coming home with a really bad cold after a month of working away, I made myself pretty scarce and hot-footed it to my parents' house, where I'm now waiting for Adam. To recover enough that I can return home. Meanwhile, he is doing all the dog stuff, and all the training, and all the feeding, and all the stuff that I usually do. And I'm just having a holiday, having my dinners cooked for me at my parents' house. This is actually working quite well, as far as I'm concerned. So, the thing to say about this episode is that there aren't going to be any edits because I can't edit anything on my phone. I am just talking into my phone, and then I'm going to upload it. And there's going to be a little episode of Hold the Line for you all to keep you all going in the meantime. So, I have some questions, which is what I'm going to focus on. The questions, a couple of questions from Dale. So Dale says, "Joe, I've just started the click retrieve process as my lab's hand delivery wasn't very good. I'm wondering if you have any other games that you'd recommend I play to replace retrieving at the park for the four to five weeks that you said the various phases take to complete." Now, Dale, as you asked me this question on the sixth of December, you may well be. Way past the stage where you need an answer to this question now, but I'm going to answer it in case it helps anybody else who's listening. So,、um, things to do with your dog whilst you are doing the clicker retrieve. So, I recommend that you don't do retrieving exercises because I think it's going to confuse your dog. If, on the one hand, you are trying to uphold excellent standards of the dog holding things and delivering them to hand, and on the other hand, you're just letting the dog throw balls at your feet when you're out and about. And this is kind of mixed messaging, really. So let's be consistent with the message we're giving the dog, and let's make sure that we don't do any retrieving. You can do tuggy play. So if your dog likes to play tug, you can play tug, and you can let the dog. Win, quote unquote, the object, and then come back to you and offer it to you for more tug. So all that's fine if you want to play some tuggy with your dog. And you can also just do other things, like for example, you can go running with your dog. You can exercise your dog in some way that doesn't actually involve retrieving. I mean, there's lots of different things you can do. You can practice the reliable recall material, which involves by the time you get outdoors, at least calling the dog between you in the giant elastic recall. Exercise where you're calling the dog between you across quite a large field or quite a large area, so that provides lots of physical exercise. But your kind of objective and your agenda here is to physically and mentally stimulate your dog in a way that doesn't involve doing retrieves. So hopefully that makes sense. The other thing to say though about retrieving at the park is it's actually not that great for your dog in terms of 
over arousal. It can often get dogs hyper stimulated, hyper aroused and very excited about the whole concept of retrieving, which you may not realize is a problem until you want them to be nice and calm and sit calmly at heel and watch things fall from the sky, which they don't go and get. You know, you may actually want to have more control and more calmness around the whole concept of retrieving right from the very beginning. So that's another reason just not to go willy nilly chucking balls for the dog at the park. Um, and also physically, there is some sort of concern about the pressure that repetitive retrieving puts on joints, particularly with the dog is like breaking to get the ball in their mouth and they're turning and they're making sharp turns and things puts a lot of pressure on, on joints for dogs. So doing that sort of thing, especially repetitively, especially every day is not advisable for, for physical reasons as well. So there's lots of reasons that you might want to, you know, not go and throw balls at the park for your dog. So I think Dale has another question. So let's finish the other question. Click retrieve questions. Click retrieve at phase eight. How do I pick up the dummy to rethrow? Do I treat to mouth and then throw a freebie to redirect the dog and pick up while not looking? Yeah, you do something like that. Do you know off the top of my head and without any of my stuff at hand to consult, I can't tell you what phase eight is, but I think that phase eight is the bit where you've got the dog basically doing a delivery to hand and you're clicking when it makes contact with your hand and it's dropping to the floor. I believe that's where you are. So if that's what you're doing, yeah, you can do what what you say. I mean, the dog will, will you'll click the contact with your hand. And when the dog hears the click, hopefully they drop the dummy on the floor. And then you can either feed the dog to their mouth or you can take that food and you can place it just at arm's length, a few feet away. So the dog's sort of back is turned while you then pick up the dummy. Um, and if you want to throw another freebie to get the dog further away, you can do that as well. I tend to try to put the food around my person. So I don't want the dog coming back with a retrieve and then anticipating that the treat is going to be delivered to them at a distance from me because that's going to make them want to go away from me after they've delivered the retrieve. And I don't really want that as an expectation in the dog's mind. So the dog will come back and they would deliver the retrieve and then I would I could either put it in their mouth or I could put it, you know, within arm's length around my person somewhere, but not throw a 3D meters and meters away because I don't want the dog anticipating that they're going to run off somewhere else. I hope that makes sense. And then your other question, recall, preventing becoming long line wise. Are you able to elaborate more on how long you should use a long line? Are there situations where you can remove the long line? For example, socializing with other dogs where it may become tangled. The main reason for this question is because our lab's second job is being a family member and therefore he does get walked for others who are less keen to use the long line by others who are less keen to use a long line. So, well... There's multiple different ways to approach answering that question. I'm going to approach it firstly as a sort of idealistic scenario, and then we can talk about a more sort of practical answer to your question. So the idealistic sort of answer would be that only one person is going to exercise the dog, and that's the person who knows what to do and upholds all the training perfectly and all the rest of it. So assuming that person is exercising the dog or training the dog, you, of course, would take the lead off if you were going to allow your dog to play with other dogs because you don't want the lead to get tangled up around the other dogs and it's a bit of a safety risk. So if you are going to let your dog have contact with other dogs, you want to do that. But, you know, these are the kind of things which, I don't want to use the word pet dog owners in a derogatory way, but I'm going to put it in quotation marks, pet dog owners do, which working dog owners don't do. If you take your dog out and you habitually let them play with other dogs, you're going to build the expectation in the dog's mind that when you're out and about in this scenario, other dogs are the bomb. Other dogs are the thing to look for. There's a massive sense of reinforcement about the idea of spotting another dog and going to play with another dog. And you can build that in very easily without realizing it as a reinforcer for your dog in these situations. So 
you want to make sure that that isn't happening. And ideally, I mean, your dog would have, I mean, if you live in a multi-dog household, your dog is going to get pretty much all the social content that they need from the multiple dogs that they live with in their household. If you don't live in a multiple dog household, you might have friends who have dogs. You might have a few, your dog might have a few doggy friends. You might have a small circle of, of dogs that your dog is, you know, socializes with. Sometimes it works really well if they come to your house and you hang out in your yard or you go to their house and hang out in their yard so that it's very context specific. So that the idea of going out into the public area where the dog is off leash and freely ex you know, walking around exercising themselves, that doesn't get associated with the idea of spotting other dogs and running off to play with them. But this idea of playing with other dogs is something that happens in your yard or in someone else's yard. So it's not something that is associated with public places. So I tend to find that that works really well as well. And then, of course, if you're doing dog sports, or, you know, if you're going to some sort of obedience classes, um, agility classes, training classes, general pet dog training classes, all of those are scenarios where you're going to be seeing other dogs, probably coming into contact with them. Probably, you know, your dog's going to be having a sniff of them while you're waiting around for something in between exercises. And all of that is some sort of social stimulation and contact for your dog as well. And it's also a good way of making doggy friends for your dog that you can then arrange, you know, for them to come to your house or you go to their house or whatever. So all of those ideas are much better than just letting your dog play with random strange dogs when you're out and about. Because there's also a risk to that too. You don't know how that other dog is going to react to your dog. You don't know if something is going to go wrong between them. Even if both dogs seemingly are are fine with other dogs beforehand, Things can go wrong just in terms of the combination of the two dogs. Things may not go according to plan. So it's, it's always a slight risk when you let your dog make contact with a completely unknown, strange dog in that way. I often tell people that it's a little bit like Russian roulette. So, you know, if you have only one chamber in your gun with a bullet in and you just pull that chamber and it clicks, nothing comes out. You pull it and nothing clicks and nothing comes out. Eventually you're going to pull it and you're going to pull it and it's going to be the chamber with the bullet in it. Um, I hope that you get that analogy, guys. I would probably edit that out if I could actually edit. So maybe just forget that I said that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what it's like if your dog is out and about meeting and interacting with strange dogs. Every strange dog that you come across, that's going to happen sooner or later. So I don't think I fully answered your question. Um, other people exercising the dog. So... Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now, the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now, the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself, and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called 
the workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's Whistle Pause. Let's get back to the show. If you have no other choice but for other people to exercise your dog, so let's not get into all the human social reasons why there might be, you know, let's not get into that. If you have no other choice (laughs) and someone else is going to exercise your dog, then what you want to make sure of is that you don't let them destroy any of your cues. So that means, you know, if you've worked really hard to train a whistle recall and to teach your dog that whistle recall means super tasty stuff, or even a verbal recall, there's a specific phrase that you use like Fido come or Fido here or something. And that's the special recall phrase that you've spent ages training your dog to respond to when your dog thinks that that means pate or sardines or something. What you don't want is to let these other people who are taking your dog out use the whistle or give that special recall phrase and not give the dog the pate or the sardines, because that will detrain your whistle or your recall. Um, if you've got a really smart dog, it may only detrain it with those people, but still, it's going to detrain it and you don't want to risk it. So I would suggest that you don't let them, don't give them a whistle <laughs> and don't let them use your special phrases. Just tell them to call something else. I mean, they can just make up their own recall, like they'll probably just say the dog's name. And if you can encourage them to give the dog a treat when they say the, say the dog's name, then you know that's a great thing. And if your dog needs more control than that, and they, they're not going to be reliable off leash, if they're not, you know, they're not with someone who understands how to use the whistle or the the recall phrase, then that dog probably can't go out with those people because it's not safe for that dog to go out with those people because they're not under control with those people. So people, if if people take a dog out in public, the law says that the dog has to be under control. So they can keep the dog on a leash, which can be a long line or it can be a short leash. Or if they're going to take the dog off the leash, they have to have the dog under control, which means responding to training so they have to uphold your training otherwise they're breaking the law and i can't recommend they do that so i'm afraid there's not any easy way to answer that that second question you have there um all right i think those were all of your questions i also think somebody else had a question let me have a look um anna has a question anna says I worked through your click and retrieve training. Well, it's a very click and retrieve focused today. I worked through your click and retrieve training last year with my almost two-year-old golden retriever who had developed keep-away issues. I proofed the behavior against various items and in a few different environments. The result was a beautiful retrieve after months of other failed methods. Excellent. Anyway, fast forward a few months, he is getting a little possessive again. For example, if he finds a ball on a walk, he will actively avoid me, even though I would never just take it off him. At our group gundal classes, he often runs a lengthy path back or plays around, but his delivery is beautiful once he's finally made it back. My question is, do I need to continue training or proofing the clicker retrieve to avoid old habits slipping back in? So, there's a couple of things to say there. So, the first thing to say is make sure you've you've proofed the clicker retrieve to lots of different objects, because dogs can often be, you know, sometimes people can get a bit too dummy-focused with the clicker retrieve, because that's the thing that they, at that point, in training, most want the dog to be able to retrieve and they forget to generalize it to other things. And then if you've got a dog, the sort of dog, which is really into objects, then that dog is going to get a bit excited when they meet a novel item that they haven't experienced before. So, you know, a ball, for example, or maybe just a new ball um, or some other item that they come across. So you want to make sure that you have really generalized the clicker retrieve to all kinds of different items so that the dog understands that it applies regardless of what the item is. So if you only do your click retrieve with dummies, definitely make sure you go back through the same stages and use other items. That's the first thing I would say. 
The second thing I would say is sometimes some dogs need a bit sort of extra help with the, with the whole um, not being possessive thing. So you can provide that with some extra tasty food. So instead of just using whatever food you're currently using, use something even more amazing so that the dog really thinks it's worth their while to bring that item back to you and exchange it for something super tasty. So obviously you can't just do that in that situation. So when I say this to people, people will often, when they anticipate the situation will happen, they will take out a tasty food. But the dog doesn't know you've got the tasty food unless historically before that in the training process, you've used the tasty food. So they're not going to know that you've suddenly got sausages in your pocket when previously you've only ever had kibble. So you need to do some training with the tastier food to teach the dog, hey, this now results in this extra super tasty stuff under these circumstances. So you might want to do that for a little bit as well. You don't mention what food that you're using with your dog here. So I'm not sure about that one. Um, And then with the group gundle classes, the the kind of running around and playing thing can can sometimes be a sort of social thing. So it often happens when there are a lot of other dogs or people around, the dog almost wants to show off that they've got this thing that nobody else has got. Hey, look what I've got. Look what I've got. No, 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 no. None of you guys have this. I have this. Um, this is me kind of putting thoughts and words into the dog's head. Of course, this is very non-scientific, but this is what I <laughs> this is what I always think is going on when I see this. Um, and what you need to do is you need to make your treats. It's the same thing. You need to make your treats more reinforcing than this social approval or social disapproval, whatever it is, is going on between your dog and the other dogs. You need to make sure that your dog values bringing this item directly back to you immediately in exchange for a super incredible treat. And this is just much more interesting to your dog than showing it off to everybody else. Does that, does that help? Um, and I'd say that's particularly the case if, if you find this is happening in group classes, but it's not really happening when it's just you and him away from group classes and there's not anybody else around watching. Um, so, um, but, um, but, um, yeah, and the other thing to say is one last thing to say about this issue, which is the, when you've got a dog which has these possessive instincts, it's really important that you don't take the item in your hand because even if you're sort of clicking when the dog gives it to you and then you're kind of putting it under your arm or putting it in a bag and giving the dog a treat, the dog still is aware that you're taking possession of the item and you don't want to do that. You don't want the dog to see you doing that if you've got this type of dog which gets very possessive about things. So what you'll do is just mark the moment that the item makes contact with your hand but don't take it. Let it then fall to the floor. So you'll click that moment and then let the item fall to the floor and then take a treat. And with that treat, you can place it down sort of at arm's length, like we were just talking about, and turn your dog's back away as you place it down out to your side. And with the other hand, pick up the item. So the dog doesn't see you take possession of the object because it's that moment when the dog sees you go, that's mine. I'm taking possession of it, which triggers all of the dog's kind of guarding instincts and their equivalent sort of that's mine thing. Um, and you just don't want to, you don't want the dog to be experiencing that. And sometimes what happens when you have dogs like this is that people do that, like I've just described perfectly, when they're training the clicker retrieve. But then when they start to get outside, they're, they're kind of a little bit like, oh, I want to start taking this thing in my hand now because I want to do proper gun dog stuff. And just clicking when it touches my hand and letting it fall to the floor isn't advanced enough for me. I want to actually take it. But the dog's not ready for that yet. So if you start to do that, when the dog isn't ready for you to do that yet, then you might just be inflaming all of those keep away tendencies and instincts that your dog has. So with this type of dog, you need for a protracted, prolonged period of time until you see no sign of keep away. You need to keep clicking 
contact with your hand and letting the item fall to the floor and using the treat to turn the dog away so they don't see you take possession of it. And that's exactly what you should do if you ask the dog to drop something that they pick up on a walk as well. You would say drop, which hopefully you've trained this indoors as well, um, so the dog understands the cue. And then once the dog drops, you would take the item and you would throw it away from the dropped item so the dog runs off to go chase whatever you've thrown your, to your treat. And then you can pick up that item on the floor when they're not looking, if you want to pick it up. If it's a dead rabbit or something disgusting, you probably don't want to. But do you know what I mean? So you make sure the dog doesn't see you take possession of it. So that's not to that question. Next question, because Anna's got one more question. Um, more of a general question around running up to pheasants, deer, other dogs. His recall has improved a lot apart from around live game or other dogs. I often use a long line, but even when I think he can come off the lead, it's mostly quiet countryside where we live. He might sense something and he's off before I've even seen what it is. Any tips on handling this? I'm struggling to train a good recall response to these distractions as I can't predict when another dog might appear or be smelt in the distance. When I do see it first, I will usually use my stop whistle and pop him back on the lead. I suggest then, let's address the last part of that first, that you don't use your stop whistle under these conditions because firstly, you might end up detraining your stop whistle. Like the dog is going to... What are you going to do if the dog doesn't stop and just continues to run off to whatever it is? You're kind of going to detrain your stop whistle and you've got no way of ensuring the dog actually stops under these conditions so particularly he's not wearing a long line so the other thing to say is that when dogs want to move towards something like another dog it's actually easier to replace that behavior with an equivalent movement towards you because you're not asking the dog to be still and to sit you're asking the dog to replace the instinct to run towards something with the instinct to run towards you so it's kind of much more, it's much easier for the dog. The dog wants to move their body, so they're still going to move their body. They're just going to move it towards you and get a treat instead of towards that thing, that tempting thing in front of them. If you ask them to sit, they're just going to be sitting there staring at that tempting thing, which is fine in terms of that's what a lot of gun dogs eventually end up doing when they're watching retrieves falling from the sky. But if you've got a dog which is struggling with control issues, you probably don't want to ask them to do that at a distance from you to begin with. So I would say you should be trying to use your recall. That's the behavior that you should be using in this situation rather than your um, your remote sit or stop. So in terms of the other question, you just need to be on the long line more. So your dog's not reliable. If your dog can't come back when you call, they shouldn't ever be off the long line. And that long line should always be within reach of your of your feet or hands so you can stamp on it or grab it or, if you need to. So it's just something that you need to make sure of. If you've got a big strong dog, you might want to attach long line to, to a harness which attaches... Um, so it's got two points of attachment and attach it to the chest attachment because you have more control over the dog. If you clip the long line to the front onto their chest and you will, if you clip it on the back, you might just get pulled flat on your face if it's on the back. So, but you need to be using that long line. You can't, the thing about the long line is if you put it on sometimes and you don't put it on other times, then the dog becomes what we've called long line wise. The dog understands when I've got the long line on, I can't do whatever I want. You've got control over me. And when I, when you've got the long line off, I can do whatever I want and you can't do anything. Haha, I can go and run off after other dogs. I'm free to do whatever I want to do and you have no control over me and I can just choose my reinforcers. So you don't want the dog to to learn that. Um, And to prevent them from learning that, you need to give them zero opportunity to compare long line on with long line off. If they just always have long line on, there's nothing to compare that with and you'll just end up with a dog which sort of unthinkingly, unconsciously just responds to the cues that you've trained. So keep the long line on your dog is not reliable if they're trying to run off to pheasants, deer, other dogs, smells and suddenly bolting. They should not be off the long line and you might need to walk along holding the end of it at first. In fact, your your priority is not taking a walk with your dog. Your priority is training your recall. 
because only when that recall is reliable can your dog actually enjoy freedom and take walks like that. So, so you need to make sure that you go out into the world, into the environment to train your recall, not to take a walk with your dog. So I again would think you need to be using tastier treats and you need to be following um, recall training program. So you can check out the reliable recall course on my website and follow the steps there. It's also in my book too. So make sure you go through that in a sort of systematized progressive way. So you, the, the recall course takes you through a recall in the house, um, coming away from distractions like food or treats. It takes you outside into um, kind of one environment, which is a rural environment, but it's a predictable sort of familiar environment. And then practicing your recall in that situation as well with a long line on, giant elastic recall, calling the dog backwards and forwards between two people in a big area. There's lots of different exercises you need to progress through. So, and in all of this, it's really important to get the treats right as well and use super amazing treats. People frequently don't use tasty enough treats for their recall. So you need to be using sardines, pate, black pudding, you know, really stinky, squishy things. Gourmet wet dog food is quite a good one and pretty cheap as well. So that's a good one. Things that you probably need to put in a little pot and have a little plastic spoon to deliver to your dog because they're so disgusting, you don't want to hold them. So check out that sort of stuff because that's going to get the best results. You know, if you pay stuff well, you will get better behaviours from your dog. So um, so that's another thing that I would say there. Um, I think We've answered all of the questions. I'm just trying to see if I have any more questions. No. Um, so we've answered all the questions, everyone. So that's all for this week. I'm going to try to upload this, <laughs> um, this episode, which has zero music, um, and just, yeah, see if that works. See you all next time, or speak to you all next time. Bye-bye, everybody.